my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's blood. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Amen. And uh, we have a wonderful guest on today. We have Bob Heidman from Dallas, Texas. And we're going to talk about his book, uh, Don't Run Out of Money, A Shot Across the Bow, which is about the, uh, you know, the kind of the, bu- the bubble we're in right now. And uh, so, Bob, you've had a, you know, a, you know, you have this new book, uh, Don't Run Out of Money, A Shot Across the Bow. And uh, you, have, you have a fascinating story. Um, could you uh, give give our listeners some about your background, about growing up in fan- in Pennsylvania, and then going to Park Avenue, and with your dad, your dad was a friend of Walt Disney. Could you just bring us up to date on that? Absolutely. Um, actually, I was born in New York. My father was born in York, Pennsylvania, and uh, he was born in 1895. So we're talking about 122 years ago. Uh, I'm 81 years old, so uh, you know I've got a lot of perspective uh, going back in time. And uh, my father was the oldest of three brothers, and uh, they lived in York, Pennsylvania, and the family was very, very successful and very wealthy. Excuse me. They owned a chain of department stores in uh, secondary cities like York and uh, primary cities like Wilmington, Delaware, and they were, as I say, very successful and and, successful. they wanted my father, as the oldest son, to go to the University of Pennsylvania and get a business degree at the Wharton School of Business and uh, be in a position to run the family business. My father, though, was an artist, and he did not want to go to business school. He wanted to go to New York and pursue a career in art. And at age 18, he ran away from home and uh, moved to New York City. And the book really begins at that point in time. And, and basically what I'm trying to say to people is, hey, uh, there, there's a serious challenge that we all face, and the challenge is not running out of money during our lifetime. Uh, in the book, you'll see that my father did run out of money in his lifetime. I have a sister today who has run out of money in her lifetime, and it's a tragic thing to see. And the the reason I've written the book is the perspective that I have over the last 122 years is very personal, and and it's very uh, uh, insightful. Uh, You know, if you look back and see what's happened, you can use that perspective going backwards to project the future and figure out what your challenges are so that you don't run out of money. Uh, my father was hugely successful. Um, he, he, and, and to give you some ideas, and just you know, throw some numbers at you. Some of them are in the book, uh, others aren't. This particular one is not in the book. 
but this, these, everything I say in the book can be verified on your smartphone. I mean, I'm not making anything up. Everything I tell you is by the numbers. When my father was five years old, 1900, a, a candy bar was one cent, one penny. Okay, when I was five years old, which would have been 1941, we called them nickel candy bars. But if you went into a grocery store, you could buy that candy bar for four cents. Okay, uh, today, if I go into my local grocery store, and I live in Dallas, a candy bar is a dollar seventy-nine. I mean, that's a pretty scary perspective when you look at it. Uh, over the last 122 years, candy bars have appreciated 179 times. They've gotten I mean, smaller, too, right? That, that's sorry, Will. Sorry. Yeah, that, they've gotten much smaller, too, haven't they, uh, Bob? I think they've gotten smaller, <laughs> you know, but uh, having not uh, gone back that far, I don't really, I couldn't tell you for sure, but very, I mean, that's, that's a very, very powerful, uh, t- you know, indicator. And again, if you get on your cell phone and you ask the question of, you know, what did candy bars cost in 1900, they'll show you just about every year through the present. And uh, think about, you know, what's going to happen the next time a candy bar doubles in value. It's going to be almost four bucks for a candy bar. Bob is so that's. Yes, sir. It's going to be. It sounds like the Weimar Republic. We're going to need a wheelbarrow uh, of a paper money to buy a candy bar. It reminds me of Germany prior to World War II. Absolutely. In the book, I say we went to Europe in 1950, and we sailed around the Isle of Capri uh, with a guy who was kind of like a, a pirate. He was really an interesting character, and he had bought his sailboat before World War II. And he bought it for a thousand lira. And after World War II, he had the boat painted, and it cost him ten thousand lira. And what I say in the book is that hey, that happened over a very, very short period of time. So it was very dramatic, and it was very indicative of what can happen to the value of, of uh, money, you know, based on circumstances. But yeah. what I'm showing in the book are trends. And the trends, you know, cover the 122 years that my father was alive and, and that I'm still alive during. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an, another example, and this is flabbergasting, and this is in the book. <clears throat> when my father ran away from home, he moved to Manhattan, and he found a roommate. And the roommate became very famous and, and very successful. His name was Hoagie Carmichael, and he was a musician his, his art was music, and he wrote Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, yep. George On My Mind, yep. uh, The Nearness of You, four or five of the most recorded uh, songs in history. But the bottom line was that my father and he were star- starving artists, and they found an apartment in Manhattan in New York City for $5 for the month, okay? <laughs> two fifty each, $0.08 cents a day. Okay, and the landlord was making a profit on that lease at five bucks a month. Okay, my father ultimately uh, moved to Park Avenue in New York City, 
and uh, we had a, an apartment at 1088 Park Avenue, and you can Google these addresses, and my father's rent there was 300 bucks a month. But when I was born, my father was almost 42 years old. When I was born, uh, they needed to add a, a nanny. My mother had a maid who was also, uh, you know, a cleaning lady and a cook. My father had, had a chauffeur and a butler. Or I don't mean, yeah, show, uh, the uh, chauffeur and a butler. And I needed a nanny, and I needed a room. So they had to move to 565 Park Avenue, and they took the whole floor wow. at 565. The interesting thing was that the rent in both those apartments was the same. It was $300 a month. Today, if you Google those buildings, and by the way, our apartment had to be cut in half because it was too big for most people to afford, uh, and, and apartments in those buildings are running $7 million and up. The buildings have been co-opted. You can't lease in them. You have to buy and they're in the you know that range of seven to ten million dollars. Um, and your dad was fr- and your dad was friends with Walt Disney too. I, I in the book by the way, uh, uh, you can get the book book on Amazon. Don't run out of money. Uh, and uh, but your dad was friends with Walt Disney too. Am I correct? Walt Disney was my godfather. <clears throat> yes. oh, you can't get much closer than that. <laughs> right, and he used to send me. Uh, presents for my birthday and for Christmas, and, and uh, I was too young to remember Walt, but my father and Walt were very good friends, and my father was the art editor of different magazines at different times in New York City, and he would use Disney art and different things along these lines for covers of his magazines and that kind of thing. So yeah, Walt Disney was a very close family friend, and as I say, my godfather. But so anyhow, Bob. But so we, we want to talk. We want to talk about the solution. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna have you on another, another five ten minutes. That we'll take a break. Uh, but uh, and then we'll have you for the duration of the show. But um, so any event. So you. Um, so you, so why did you write this book, Bob? I wrote this book because I'm very very concerned about the future of our people. Uh, I wrote it particularly for my kids and my grandkids. But, you know, an extension of that is everybody in America. Uh, People need to realize what the trends that have been accumulating over this long period of time are going to have on their future. And most people have a short-term perspective, and most people are very optimistic and upbeat, and they live from day to day, and they don't realize how quickly time passes and how very fast they are going to become middle-aged and ultimately elderly. And if they don't prepare for that old age, and if they don't recognize the trends that they're challenged by, they're not going to do anything about protecting their old age until it's too late. And I want everybody to read this book and understand the trends that are so pervasive, and they're very positive on on one hand, but they are very challenging on another. Uh, one of the, the trends is longevity, and I'm very grateful for longevity. I'm 81 years old, and I'm very lucky to be alive. Uh, but I also, you know, realize that longevity requires you to be able to support yourself for a much longer period of time. 
And another trend is that people get laid off younger and younger. And if you're laid off and you live longer, you've got a lifespan that you need to be able to protect that could run 25 or 30 years. And if you haven't done something to create cash flow for yourself uh, and build some security for yourself, when you get laid off at 55 or 60 or 65 or whenever, if you're going to live to be 90 or longer, there's a 25, 30-year time frame there that you're going to have to figure out a way to support yourself. You know, And this book outlines these trends and explains the challenge and explains some alternatives that you might have that could help you survive through a lifetime. You know, you know, Bob. I'd like to ask you a question. You know, one of the things which which it came, and I'm kind, I kind of, you're kind of preaching to the gospel here to the choir, if you will. Um, you know, but one of the things which I really got from this is that you really have to be. Uh, it's kind of the old American Yankee American. You really got to learn how to be really self reliant because, um, and I've learned this from my own personal career and 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 other people as well. And thank God I've been self employed for a long time, but. Uh, uh, Business is, is, it can be very cool, uh, as you put it, it's cold and cruel in this country. And, um, and I, I think, won't, won't you tell our audience the, the experience you had? You worked for uh, Continental uh, Can, which was, which was once the 34th largest uh, company in, in, in the U.S., am I correct? Could you tell people about yes, some of your expenses with, with you know, big corporate America? Absolutely. It was the 34th largest company in America. It was the largest packaging company in the world. And I thought I was going to be there for my entire career. And they really, really took care of their employees, which was typical of a major corporation back in that time frame. And I'm talking now, this was 1959 when I graduated from college. They had, uh, you know, a disability insurance policy, a life insurance policy. They had a retirement plan. They had stock options and profit sharing. Uh, they, they treated people as if they were family, and they acted as if they wanted to keep those people forever. They had fringe benefits on top of fringe benefits, and it was really a great feeling to know that, hey, if I had a baby, Continental Can was going to pay for that baby. Or if I had some kind of an illness, I had major medical and I was covered. And, and it was a great deal. But what happened to Continental Can is what's happened to so many major companies in this country. They were a, a sophisticated old company and they had a lot of people who were of retirement age. And those people who were of retirement age had a pension plan with Continental Can that cost Continental Can a lot of money. And every year that pension plan got bigger and bigger and that top heaviness got more and more invasive. And Continental Can couldn't compete with smaller companies who didn't have these huge pension expenses. And when you can't compete, you can't stay in business. Continental Can is out of business. I mean, I was shocked when we went on an austerity program and we were told that we could no longer expect any raises or any promotions. They couldn't afford to pay us. And, and they went out of business. This is years ago. But look at what happened to General Motors. If you told my father that General Motors went bankrupt, he, he wouldn't begin to believe it. The same with Chrysler. 
that the same thing happened to them. They couldn't afford their pension plans. And health care has become so very expensive. Companies have gone away from all these benefits, and they don't take care of you the way they used to, and they don't expect you to stay with them from the time you leave school until you retire. Uh, They know you're going to continuously change jobs. There's nowhere near the loyalty, and there's nowhere near the security that old companies used and, and, and major companies used to provide their, their employees. So you really have to think about taking care of yourself. On top of that, and this is another trend, we are building huge uh, debt, national debt. And this debt is becoming absolutely, uh, I mean, it's a cancer uh, financially. I hear politicians say, the United States is the richest country in the world. Well, how can you be the richest country in the world when you have $20.5 trillion worth of national debt? They say this country is not bankrupt. Well, my understanding of bankruptcy or being you know, bankrupt is having more debt than you can afford. And certainly our country has more debt than it can afford. If you divide our national debt by the number of people in America, yeah. it's over $60,000 per person. And that includes everybody who was born today and people who will die tomorrow. Each one of us owes $60,000 against the national debt. Most of us don't even come close to being able to pay that. If you were a lender, would you lend somebody who couldn't pay you back more money? You know the answer to that. We're going to be in a position where nobody's going to want to lend us money. And if you think that the company you work for today is going to keep you on forever, and if you think the federal government is going to be there to take care of your health requirements and and your your, uh, social security and things like that, those things just can't continue. They, They are going to become like a Continental can or General Motors or, you know, any of the companies, and there are thousands of them, that fell by the wayside because their overhead killed them. And our government's overhead is killing it. And on top of that, the numbers exponentiate. Um, My father bought a house in Rye, New York in in 1941. He paid $13,750 for the house. What's that today? His original offer on the house was $13,500. And he got countered at thirteen seven fifty. If he hadn't been willing to come up two hundred and fifty dollars, he wouldn't have gotten the house. <laughs> but the first time that house doubled, it went to twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars. If you go on on Zillow and you look up the house, it's now about a two million dollar house. Unbelievable. The next time it doubles, it's going to be four million bucks, and it's gone up a hundred and thirty one times versus what he paid for it in 1941. Think of what the numbers are going to look like futuristically as these numbers continue to exponentiate. And think of the amount of money you're going to need to make to support yourself in your old age. And it could be in the millions of dollars a year just on the basis of the trends I'm outlining in my book. You're in the great state of Texas, and uh, I sell a lot of my books down in Texas. I don't sell very many of them around here, but uh, 
Um, you know, but the, the, the compounding the problem is, is that we have so a lot of people are broke, and then we have the the government employees that have you know their I don't know their their benefits are incredible. Am I correct? Well, absolutely, yeah. It's it's uh, you know it's amazing what has happened. I was a government major in college, and uh, when I left college, I knew that I didn't want to work for the government because the government didn't pay nearly as well as the private sector. Uh, today, that has flip-flopped, and government employees are making substantially more money than people in the private sector. And, uh, you know, our federal government has something like 2.7 million employees, and that's a huge, huge payroll. And, and you know, the, the federal government, you know, wants to take care of us. Uh, they also, you know, want all the power in the world, uh, but, hey, they can't afford it. We're having a problem right now, uh, and it's the, the uh, you know, Obamacare or whatever the Trump administration comes up with, and everybody is arguing about, you know, we're not getting this and we're not getting that and we're not getting the other thing. And the, the uh, Democrats uh, blame it on the Republicans and the Republicans blame it on Obamacare. And the truth of the matter is it's not a political problem. It's an economic problem. Amen. The government spends so much money on everything it does that it can't afford to be in the Medicare business. Uh, it, it can't afford long-term to be in the Social Security business. The overhead is enormous, and look what's happening every day. Uh, we just got uh, a huge bill that's going to need to be addressed for Puerto Rico. The island got annihilated. That's going to be billions and billions of dollars. Houston just took a huge blow uh, with this most recent hurricane. The state of Florida did all these things cost the federal government money, and the federal government keeps making promises, and uh, FEMA keeps making promises, and FEMA's budget is, they're way over budget. They're, they're basically bankrupt, but some way, somehow, the government keep, needs to keep acquiring additional responsibilities. Then you look at what's happening in the world, and we've got North Korea, and we've got Iran, and we've got ISIS, and we've got uh, Russia and China and all kinds of, of challenges, and the country desperately needs to make a priority of our defense capabilities and our wartime capabilities. And the money doesn't just grow on trees Although, ironically, what it is, it's paper money, which does grow on trees, <laughs> and the federal government just keeps printing money. And when you just print money, there's no economic value for what that money has been created for, and all it does is, is create inflation and dilution of the buying power of our money. And, and it's really a scary circumstance, and that's why reading this book is so important in understanding what your challenges are and recognizing, as Barry said, that, hey, you need to be taking care of yourself and you need to be building something for yourself that is going to overcome the challenges that you're going to be facing. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have a sister who is a very successful person. 
She was the first woman director of a major soap, and she won six Emmys, and she made a lot of money. And she got laid off when she was about 55 or 60, and she just had her 78th birthday, and she's as broke as she can be because she counted on the monies that she was going to get from the uh, union that she was in, which was a very powerful union, and uh, Social Security and Medicare and different things along these lines. But with the value of money acceleratingly uh, being diluted, uh, she can't make ends meet. And it's, it's a tragic thing. And I've got other responsibilities. The, my family, uh, beyond my sister, I can't support her. She's got to figure out a way, which she's beyond being able to do, to keep herself afloat. And that's a horrible admission on my part, but it's indicative of what I'm trying to say in the book. I, I don't make any of these things up. I'm talking about practical American history to, to depict what's happening in your future so that you can prepare for it and protect yourself. You know, you know, Bob, um, and I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, and you know, you're, this is, this day of reckoning is going to be happening more and more. And, um, uh, the, unfortunately the things with financial products and financial schemes, if you will, they have a long tail, but, uh, this will happen. And if you look at the, the collapse of Rome, you look at the collapse of the British empire, the collapse of the Spanish empire, the Dutch, you go on and on and on. It's overextending its, itself and, uh, spending too much money that they don't have in wars. And, we're kind of the, um, the the war machine. I think we're in Afghanistan for 16, 17 years. But one of the things, Bob, which I thought was, was really a, a, a portion of gold in your book, uh, because you, you're obviously asking people to become more self-reliant, being self-employed. And and I couldn't agree with you more, Bob. You know, this is how you and I get to know each other from, from a mutual friend, Rick Barry. Uh, but you mentioned the importance of uh, contact capital, for people. Uh, what do you mean by that? And how can people benefit by that? Well, you mentioned Rick Berry, and, and Rick Berry is a very high profile guy, and, and Rick Berry is a very influential guy. And if I didn't have a relationship with Rick Berry, I wouldn't have a relationship with you. Uh, so knowing people and working with people and creating a value for your relationship with that person, and it's got to be a two-way street. Yeah, You can't just have a guy that you are using uh, because of his influence. You've got to be able to provide him with a value, too, to make the relationship work. So, you know, uh, the person who wrote the forward for my book is yeah. Roger Staubach. Yeah, how'd you get him? Rick Barry introduced me to Roger. Oh, <laughs> Rick Barry introduced you to Roger, really? Well, I was texting yeah. Rick Barry last night, back and I mean, forth. Yeah, And that's what I mean by contact capital. Everybody you meet is a potential source of a benefit for you if you, in turn, can provide a benefit for them. So meet as many people as you can. Uh, create as many relationships as you possibly can. Uh, you don't know who the next person you might meet uh, might have as an influence on your life. Uh, if you have an idea and somebody else has, you know, a, a, a vehicle and you put your idea together with this vehicle, you could create a new company or a new value or something that is going to help you through the rest of your life. So people inter 
interacting with people and, and exposing yourself to as many people and as many opportunities as possible is an important part of making your future viable uh, because you may have to change jobs a number of times and, and having those other people available to you and ideas available to you will lead you to your next opportunity. Um, it's, uh, you know, one of, one of the things I say in my book that I think is, is really interesting, Barry, is the idea that there are an awful lot of businesses that are no longer viable because of technology. And technology is another trend, and it's an accelerating trend. And if you look at what the cell phone itself has done, <clears throat> it's eliminated so many things that are no longer necessary because they're available on your phone. You don't need a dictionary. Ask your phone for whatever word you want, and it comes up instantly with, with full definition. You don't need an encyclopedia. Uh, basically, those two businesses have been put out of, out of business. Nobody's buying them. There are no customers for them. Realistically, you don't need a watch. You don't need a stop clock or stop watch. You don't need an alarm clock. Uh, you don't need a GPS system. It goes on and on and on to the point you don't, you don't even need a landline. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And, and in the book, it just outlines, you know, business out of business after business rather that has been put out of business by technology. And then you have globalization. That's another trend. And we're fighting competitively internationally for the ability to, to compete. Oh. There are a lot of places that we can't compete with because of labor costs and different things along these lines. Yeah, and I have a qu I have a question for you, Bob. Eliminate the businesses that could be put out of business by technology or by globalization, or you may have a great idea technologically that you know could be uh, your ticket. But you need to be aware of what's going on around you in the world, what has been happening, and where the trends are taking you so that you can be prepared in the future to compete and survive. Yeah. Now, Bob, I have a question for you. Um, anyone who gets this book, by the way, Don't Run Out of Money, uh, uh, A Shot Across the Bow, which you can get off of Amazon. Bob, you, you, you said that picture on the cover. You look pretty darn good. You're 81. You look, you look awesome. You know, and that's um, amazing what technology can do. And that's <laughs> you know part of what that picture is all about. But uh, Barry, I appreciate your saying that. And oops, I'm just going to be loud for a minute. That's my my fax machine. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, technology. But anyhow, a, qu a question for you. But so, where did you get all this tenacity, Bob? I mean, uh, where did it come from? It was did you get it from sports? It was from faith, from family, because you've been. People need to read it. So you've been through a you've been went the heck of a ride. You've gone through disabilities, and uh, you, you mentioned the importance of having the proper life insurance and disability insurance because that carried you through. What gets you through all these storms? And we didn't even get into any of these things. Well, you know, you you talk about faith and, and sports. You know, I was just an athlete. Uh, never of anything close to a Rick Barry or a Roger Staubach, but I learned that hey. Uh, you know, you have to compete, and, and what you need to do is take your competitive nature into whatever you do in the business world. And, you know, uh, 
been in sales most of my life, and I realized that, hey, I'm not a good enough salesman to go in and sell somebody something the first time I call on them. Uh, you have to go in and, and have a first call, and you may have to work on an account for two or three years before you ever see the first re- return. Yeah. And if you don't continue to work your tail off, and if you don't show tenacity, uh, the alternative is to fail. Yeah. And that's not something I enjoyed ever doing. And, and uh, you know, I've got a, a wife of almost 55 years, and I've got kids uh, in their late 40s and early 50s. And, you know, if you, if you quit, you let them down, you let your grandkids down, and, and you let yourself down. And in my opinion, letting my family down is, is unthinkable. So, and, and, you know, you don't want to let yourself down either. As I say, if you don't do something today and start pursuing it and preparing for the future, your chances of, of surviving at a level that's satisfactory to you diminishes terribly. So today is the day you need to start thinking about where am I going to be, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and, you know, through the rest of my life. If you wait and wait and wait, you'll never get anything done. you got to start and, and pursue your commitment as early as you possibly can. Amen. You know, um, excuse me, Bob. You know, one of the questions. Yeah, who, I, I, great football coach said the the future is now, and you're going to pay a dear price. And I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it's incremental. It's just one day at a time. It just keeps swinging. Um, but one of the things which, um, um, you know, so we need to develop independent. How can I put income streams and so forth? You know, what did you do? What do you recommend for people? Give, them, give us some ideas to, to what people should do. Because, you know, we've been talking about the problem, but I want to talk about the solution. What, what did you do to develop different additional income streams? Because I guess you've been doing this direct sales and uh, nutritional supplements for a number of years. How did that work out for you? Well, as it turned out, uh, it worked out extremely well. And, and uh, you know, in the book, I say, hey, look, I don't know my readers. I don't know them personally, so I can't give you any advice because I just don't know you. But the bottom line is be an opportunist. Uh, find something that you, by background, by experience, by education, can identify with and can do for the rest of your life. You don't want to be in a business that requires physical activity because as you get older it becomes more and more difficult to be physical and i say in in my book um the direct sales if you don't have anything else that is better for you than direct sales and if you don't know what you want to do direct sales is a prepackaged commodity uh they have the products that you would sell so you don't have to decide what do i want to sell if you like their company and if you like their pay plan, and uh, if you feel confident that uh, this is going to be around for a long period of time, then direct sales is a terrific way to be in business because you leverage yourself. You're not, it's not just you against the rest of the world. You have other people out there creating value for you. 
And uh, 24 or five years ago, I woke up one day and, and uh, realized that, you know, I had a disability. In fact, the year was uh, that I found out I was disabled was 1989. So that's, what, 28 or nine years ago. And uh, I was a, a vegetable for four and a half years, and I was told I'd never work again. And, uh, you know, I had a disability policy, thank God, and that's in the book, and I explain how important that is to have. But anyway, at the end of four and a half years, I had fought my way through this thing, and I was ready to go back to work. And I tried to find a job. And I had a real serious problem finding a job. Number one, I was in my 50s, and people felt I was too old. I wanted to change careers because I felt burned out in the business I'd been in. Uh, I, I uh, you know, was too old. Uh, I had been making a sizable income in my previous industry, so I was too expensive. Uh, I had always been an entrepreneur, had been for the last, you know, the previous 20 years. Everybody thought you're too entrepreneurial and you're going to want to compete with me after you've learned my business. And four, I had a disability, and it was a visible disability, and nobody wanted to take me on with that disability from an appearance standpoint, and they didn't want to take me on because of their health insurance programs. So I couldn't get a job, okay? I had two choices. I could quit, give up, and, and, and uh, you know, live on Social Security or whatever, or I could find a way to, to, you know, make myself viable. And I found a, a uh, direct sales company, and they don't, you know, they, they, they will take anybody um, if they're successful. If, if you're unsuccessful in direct sales, you're going to quit anyway. If you're successful, you're going to stay, and they'll give anybody a chance. And so I took on that challenge, and I built an organization, and that was uh, actually 1994, so it was five years after my disability, and that direct sales company has continuously paid me through the present, and I make a very, very decent living. Uh, Bob, I'm sorry. We're, I'm going to have to end the, uh, the show at, the, at this time. note. We're running out of time, my friend. Warrior. Certainly. understand, Barry. Right? I yeah, really it, appreciate this opportunity very much. I hope People will investigate my book. It is on Amazon. Uh, the key is don't run out of money. It's shot across the bow. It's a warning. I'm trying to help you, and I really think it's a very, very important book. Well, God bless, Bob. We'll keep in touch. And uh, it's funny, yeah, I was texting Rick uh, last night, and uh, God bless you. And look, we'll keep in touch. And thank you so much. This is going to be posted on, on, on my website and on the station, Bob, so you can you put this up in your blog spot as well, okay? Absolutely great, Barry. Thanks again for the opportunity, and, and God bless your audience. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Thanks, indeed. Bye-bye. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke, broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio, engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself, at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the world?